0: Hey, welcome on board, I'm Stu, this is the Barefoot Boys Podcast, where we teach them to want it. talking about babies and dogs so we've been through a couple of pregnancies we've had the good fortune to be able to bring a couple of uh, pretty cool girls into the world and we've also had some dogs that we brought them home too. now one of the things that I've come across in my short time and heard about from my colleagues is the amount of issues that stem from dogs that have been in the household for a little while and then suddenly we bring a baby home There's all sorts of conflicting situations, there's the lack of attention, there are the noisy toys, there's the food, there are fall diapers, there's the constant and incessant screaming and crying of the babies, there's the increased tension in the home uh, because babies are inherently stressful and there's loads of other lifestyle changes that occur and quite often Our Dogs are suddenly left out in the lurch, and they haven't been prepared for it. They haven't been prepared for it in many, many different ways, and this tends to lead to problems that we simply can't ignore anymore. So I hope that you enjoy this. Whenever you've got any sort of questions or whatever, please do let me know because it's important that this is a two-way street. I just can't speak to you live. All right, let's get into it. First, what we are required to have is a toolbox with which we can affect our dog's behavior. So I I don't necessarily mean physical tools. What I do mean are some skills that our dogs should have. And the first skill that our dog needs to have when they come into our home is to learn how to be attentive to us when we want it but also based on the motivation that our dog wants to be attentive to us because they understand that's where their best possible chances for success lie. Now that attention comes in a a couple of different forms. First, our dogs need to know what to do. our dogs will be attentive to us because they want to hear the clicker. They want to hear the word yes. They want to hear, have whatever signal it is that we've got that tells our dog that what they've done is awesome and we want more of that. That then gives our dog the driving motivation to try things out and then stick with something when it's working. Now, that also happens accidentally and that can create a bit of an issue because... Um, If our dogs accidentally find out that something works for them, they're just gonna keep knocking on that same door until it works. So if barking works to get your attention, then maybe you're not paying attention to me well enough because the baby's there, so I'll bark longer and louder and faster, and eventually you're gonna give me some attention. Now, dogs are pretty good gamblers, and they will continue to bark even though you've roused on them a couple of times. At some point, you cave, The dog gets what they want, and now we have a problem behavior that's just suddenly been born based upon the relationship which was previously in place. So it can happen two ways. We can either intentionally and artificially teach our dogs that this is how you get your best life. Pay attention to me in this way by paying attention to this particular signal, like a clicker or a yes, that gets you what you want. Or we can just let nature take its course, and our dogs will vicariously determine that this gets me some attention. Good or bad is irrelevant. At some point, I'll get some good attention from it. So that's one end of the, the spectrum. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, we also need to teach our dogs what to not do. Yeah, so the, we also have to have the opposite of yes we have to have the no so our dogs understand that right now what I've done is not cool that's out of bounds I'm not supposed to do that and the contrast between the yes and the no allows us to be a pretty solid fair just and predictable referee so it behooves us really to keep our rule set uh, or I call it a lifestyle, as consistent as possible. Obviously, things change. When you're suddenly finding yourself pregnant, that's a big lifestyle change. Suddenly, maybe you're not going out as a pair surfing every day. Maybe you're not going out to the pub every night. Maybe you're not going out and doing this, that, or the other. Suddenly, you've got morning sickness. Suddenly, you've got Um, uh, pregnancy induced diabetes or hypertension or all sorts of other things. Maybe as an upcoming dad, you are stressed out of your eyeballs because you feel that you're going to be the sole breadwinner and all the pressure is on you and mum is just going to have a baby and she's going to be at home all the time and you have to take care of that. Maybe there's mood swings, maybe there's stress induced by all of those sorts of things. Uh, there are going to be lifestyle changes. Maybe everything's hunky-dory and you're one of those those people who just takes it in their stride and and everything's fine. That's cool, but there's still a living organism growing inside of you, and that is going to affect your dog in some way. Whether you see that or not, that's irrelevant at this stage. It's the lifestyle is going to change. And if we have the tools to be able to indicate to our dogs exactly, look, hey, so my back's kind of sore, or I don't know, my ankles are kind of swollen, or maybe I just don't feel so good right now, I don't need your attention right now, or I can't take you for a walk right now, those sorts of lifestyle things, yeah. or do you know what, even those funny things like, oh, I'm sorry, I meant to put your food in the food bowl, but I put other food in the food bowl, or I'll put your food, instead of putting it in the food bowl, I'll put it in the fridge. Stuff happens. But as we become less predictable, as the pregnancy goes through its trimesters, our dogs are left in the lurch and we tend to take that for granted. And our dogs have to adapt in some way and this episode really is about making sure that we can strategize and make it as easy and seamless as possible for our dogs to come on board with this brand new chapter and um, in our lives which is supposed to be full of excitement and joy and yeah maybe some trepidation but we don't need to bring that savage aspect into it now we can capitalize on it we can do all sorts of cool stuff with it but Right now, what we're aiming to do is fuse our lives with our dogs with the baby that's about to be born. So, teaching a lifestyle ultimately comes down to teaching what to do and teaching what not to do. Thereby, what we're able to establish is some pretty firm sidelines on the game of life. So instead of having to play on every single uh, field available, now our dogs know, hey, do you know what, I just need to play on this one squash court. Right? There are stone walls all around me, I can bounce the ball off of it, everything's fine. Just don't leave before the game's finished. And then we can set up some goals. We can turn around and say, look, here are all the goals, I just need you to kick these. And the dogs say, okay, fine, so I've got all of these skills that I can use to navigate my lifestyle, just don't step out of bounds, and everything's fine. Not a problem. It's just like an athlete playing any type of game. Uh, any type of sport, the referee is there not to penalise the athlete, but to ensure that the, 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 the good reputation of the game is upheld and that the game is played to its best possible outcome. So let's have a look really. Look, this is all part of the first trimester, which is really about re-establishing, reconnecting and cementing the relational aspect between your dogs and yourselves so the teaching a lifestyle teaching that toolbox um, that's pretty foundational stuff i do that through the gray program it's a seven day program um, there are many many ways to build up a series of markers there's lots and lots of information out there um, but ultimately if you have a way of communicating to your dog so that your dog knows 100 percent this is yes this is no then chances are your dog is going to be on board in a very, very short space of time and you have the best capacity to be able to adjust their lifestyle as well as yours over the course of the next few months. Um, So one of the things that tends to happen um, across the gamut is we tend to wait for the end result before we act. So um, let's just take a slight tangent If you've got a dog that jumps, what you tend to wait for is not when the butt is about to sink to be able to load the muscles up for a launch up to Auntie Nellie's face. What we tend to wait for is the collision between tongue and Auntie Nellie's face, and then we are outraged at that. But there was a whole series of events that predicted that that was going to happen. Now it's very very important to keep the serious nature of like this episode in mind. We're talking about babies. B- baby skin is very soft. Babies' bodies are very fragile. Yeah. They have absolutely no physical control over themselves. They can't sit up, they can't stand, they can only lie down and scream, feed and sleep. That's pretty much it. So it is very critical for us to be aware of that and also be aware of how fast our dogs are, how impulsive they can be, how nervous they can be, how friendly they might like to be or how they might try and appease the baby and act friendly but they're coming at it from a place of fear. So it's very important that we start to really look at our dogs and learn to read their intentions rather than react to the end result. Yeah. So going back to Auntie Nelly's face, we don't want our 60 kilo Roddy to jump up and break Auntie Nelly's nose, and then be outraged about it. We want to control our dogs before they jump, we before they pull, before they bark, before they get to the end result. Because if they get to the end result, that is inherently a nice consequence, irrespective of what it was like for Auntie Nelly's nose being smashed from cheekbone to cheekbone. The point is. We've got to be faster in how we read our dogs, and suddenly then we are able to pick up the subtle cues, the ear flicks, the tongue flicks, the blinking of the eyes, the tail switching from left over to right or vice versa, up and down, all of these sorts of things. So maybe if we have a look at what some of these things mean, when we're reading our dogs, things tend to happen very quickly And this is why a lot of people need some professional help, a specialist who understands how to talk, dog. So the lip licking. There's all sorts of different kinds of licking. It can be licking of the air like with a very broad tongue that just pokes out the lips. It can be a big smacking lip that goes from one cheek to the next, cleaning out the whiskers, so to speak. It can be just a a lollygag of a tongue that's suddenly hanging out and then just gets drawn back in over the nose. It can be a wetting of the nose. There's all sorts of things. But when a dog is nervous, that tongue tends to lick upwards around the nose and around where the whiskers tend to be. So there's a sign of nervous activity. let's, Let's take away what that may mean. Let's just look at what it is through the lens of um dogs and babies so when might i see my dog licking when the baby cries yeah so baby wakes up baby starts screaming because hey they're hungry that's the only way they can communicate and then that sudden noise startles our dog and they'll just give a quick tongue flick or they might lick a couple of times it's just an indication of them being nervous yeah they may also blink their eyes. Um, I had a dog um, a bunch of years ago, and she would wink with her left eye just before she would play. And I used to think that was, hey, she she's winking at me like, hey, do you want to play? But then I realized that's not quite the case. Yes, she wants to play, but also she wants to tell me that she means no harm. Yeah. So it's it's not a wink like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's a case of, I'm blinking because I have no words to tell you that I don't mean any ill will, so I'll blink my eyes. It's quite an alien language to us, but it behooves us to be able to pay attention to it. So a dog may blink when something suddenly happens. Now, that suddenly happened may be... A filling of the nappy it may be the wafting of urine through the air it may be a baby's toy it may be some gurgling as the baby stirs in the cot it can be sudden movement from the cot it can be all sorts of things right but the blinking tends to occur in situations where our dogs want to load up for a good time or perhaps load up for a bad time and they're trying to say i don't mean any ill will." Yawning is also something that can happen. So yawning means, oh look, maybe not now. Uh, I, I don't mean anything bad by it. I just want to chill out rather than be revved up. Yeah. Uh, scratching. Scratching is a really good one. I remember going to a client a little while ago, um, and the owner was quite worried that their dog was uh, allergic to something. Um, and they went to the vets and they got bloods done, and the vet put him on a special diet. And I turned around and said, you know what, your dog's not. Your dog's not allergic to anything. What is happening is, your dog is so excitable, they're trying to pay attention to you, so they're stopping their gross motor function, Right? they're not running away, they're not jumping up at you, they're not barking, they're not whining, they're not doing any of these physical movements. They're sitting in front of you trying to give you their best attention possible, but they're so wriggly, their brain is firing on all cylinders, that they have to move. It's a displacement. What happens is they start to scratch. And there was an interesting study done on turtles where they um, they could scratch or excite certain nervous pathways and they could induce very particular movements and reactions from the turtles. So by altering the nervous system, they could make the turtle swim, they could make the turtle kick, paddle, do whatever. And it's no different with us and our dogs. So a common thing for us, um, uh, girls, for example, will put some hair behind their ears. Yeah. Um, some guys will rub their nose. Some people will lick their lips. Some people will pick something up in their hands and start playing with it. Um, I will tend to footy chew if I'm nervous or I'm excited, right, there's then If I've got some chewing gum, I chew fast and hard, um, much to the detriment of my wife. That, for me, is a displacement behavior. I want nothing more than to be doing something So we start to manipulate things with our hands, we start to chew, we start to uh, fidget, we pick nails, we pick noses, we clap, we scratch our arms, we do all these sorts of things. And our dogs don't have the ability to do all of that, but what they will tend to do is they'll scratch their ears, they'll scratch their arms, they'll do whatever. Uh, So the scratching really is a case of, I really want to get away, but I'm doing my best to overcome myself. So it's, it, it's good for us to have a lot of things like itching, especially when uh, the baby is starting to crawl, baby's getting a little bit close either to the dog, the dog's bed or the dog's food bowl, a dog toy, whatever it is, something that is connected to your dog and your baby gets close and your dog doesn't really want to go away. They're doing their best to be civil and they'll start to scratch because they want to do something and they're over and support your dog and bring your baby back to safety. The ears are a good one. A little bit harder to read, perhaps, in the floppy eared dogs than they are in the pointy eared dogs. But if you're one of those sorts of dogs, what you'll tend to notice is those ears will point towards the trigger that is exciting them. Again, whether that's good or bad. Um, The whole ear shell uh, will point towards whatever the object of their desire is. especially with baby toys, rattles, the electronic VTEC top toys that that are super educational, Uh, they'll have lights, sounds, big buttons, they'll move around in erratic ways, and all of these sorts of things tend to elicit a predatory response from our dogs. Again, they're not thinking about it. They're simply slaves to their genes, the same way we are. Not. So suddenly, this novel item comes along, makes lots of sounds, makes lots of erratic movements, flashes and, and blings, and it captures the attention of our dog's predatory impulses. So the ears go forward, and they may even start playing, chasing, um, going after it, biting it, those sorts of things. So, again, what may occur is... Is that our dogs get suddenly interested in all these toys, but they're not allowed to be. Yeah, there's a the lifestyle, the out-of-bounds aspect of our dogs' lifestyle with babies is don't play with the baby toys. The flip side of the ears being forwards is the ears being pinned back. So on a floppy ear dog, those instead of those ears hanging normally, they're hanging really low behind the cheeks. Uh, that's a sign of insecurity, defensiveness, like they're they're afraid or they're they're trying to ensure that they look as harmless and as puppy-like as possible. They don't want a conflict. And the conflict may be because, quite simply, the toy is moving and the dog knows I'm not supposed to play with that toy, but man, that looks like it's a really cool game. So they're in a point of conflict and they're just trying to de-escalate that conflict. Now what about the tail? Lots of people talking about, hey, wagging tails mean my dog's happy. No, not not necessarily. A wagging tail means that a dog is excited. Now, excited expressed in two particular ways. the, The happy excitement or the scared excitement. So the scared excitement or the agitated excitement can also come out of two different particular tail carriages. We have uh, what I call the scorpion and the prawn tail. The scorpion tail is the tail that is scratching your dog's own back. Right? It's arched right the way up to their spine. The tip of the tail, for example, is is touching their back and in those situations, the dog is usually quite confident in coming forwards. Uh, they're ready to go and go towards whatever the trigger is, whereas the prawn tail is tucked right underneath the belly, right. So it's right up against the ribs, right up against the sternum, and the dog really would prefer to get away from the trigger. Yeah, that that's a far more indicative of an away response. So with these with these few body language cues, I can now assess my dog in that situation and i can make a pretty good call on how to interject and and perhaps even why to interject from my dog's perspective yeah so reading your dog suddenly becomes very very important and it becomes the most important tool to be able to predict what is my dog going to do at this moment in time because we don't want our dog to believe that your baby is a toy something to possess, something to be afraid of, something to compete with, yeah? That's, that's not not a good lifestyle to have, yeah? So reading our dog allows us to establish confidence in our dog. It allows us to diminish anxiety or... Ill- it allows us to be far more subtle in, in dealing with our dogs, and that's really what we are called to do. I, I hear a lot of... Um, A lot of dog trainer talk about, uh, well, this is what the mother does, or when you interrupt your dog, it should be a growl because that's what all puppies learnt when they were in the litter and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I do honestly and humbly think it's garbage. Dogs know that we are not dogs. And as humans, we are called to be far more subtle in our approach with dogs than a mum dog can be with her litter. A mum dog is surrounded by 8 to 12 puppies that feed, wake. When they defecate, mum has to eat that defecation to keep the den itself or, or the, the whelping box. I mean, when you have a baby and you have your one baby and you realise how stressful that one baby is, imagine if you had 12 babies at the same time. Uh, that's. Super stressful. I don't think that we as in, in in our current generations I don't think we would cope at all with that size of a family ever It's way too diminishing to our own lifestyle yet. We expect our dogs to put up with it so that means that our, our Dams are then they some of them can be quite good, but on average, it's super savage And we are not called to be savage. We are a civilized people in a civilized culture and we are expected and called upon to be subtle. Uh, So those are things that we've got to understand. And being able to read my dog is something that allows me to be extremely subtle in my approach with them. So the next thing that... Uh, and, and this kind of comes into uh, the second thing that we actually teach our dogs is we start to arrange our furniture. As you figure out you're pregnant, um, it, look, man, it's really exciting. It's and I'm really, really stoked for you. You start to look at cots, prams, toys, bedding. Where am I going to put all of these nappies? How am I going to store the dirty ones? Um, the the washing changes, routine changes, all this sort of stuff. And I've seen plenty of clients who've changed their house into such a a situation that the dog's old resting place becomes, for example, the baby's new play area. That's very conflicting for a dog because they're, much like us, they're creatures of habit, but now their resting area has been, uh, been superseded into something else, and it's hard to get over that change. So what I tend to do, what I tend to advise, rather, is Future-proof your house as best as you can for the next eighteen months. By eighteen months, your dog, your yeah, your dog, your baby's going to be kind of uh, moving around. There's at least going to be some crawling going on, God willing, and that means you've got to have a far more dynamic situation in the home. Your dog and your baby require safe spaces away from each other. All right, so much harder to teach a baby than it is your dog. Now, I've got a bunch of videos um, on my website and a bunch of videos uh, on uh, social media. But let me break it down to you. If you have a large enough area for your dog to lie down in, that can be a crate, that can be um, a raised trampoline bed. doesn't really matter what it is, as long as there's a large enough area for your dog to comfortably shift around in. They don't have to be in one position. They just have to be in a location. And that location you keep safe from your baby so when your baby is crawling even rolling um, and toddling around then you're constantly taking your baby away from them from that particular safe space and you're putting them somewhere else because it's you're not going to teach a baby that's just walking or crawling don't go over there it's simply not age appropriate learning what you can teach your dog however is you're scared go to bed you're scared go to your crate right now i need you in your crate go there i'll keep you safe from there and there's a lot of different ways that you can you can teach and condition the crate to be something that is very very positive now the way i tend to explain crate training is um, when we were teenagers where did we spend most of our time at home was it under our parents feet or was it in our bedroom trying to get some space Um, I certainly know what it was like for me and I was in my bedroom predominantly when I was home. I didn't want to be with my parents. I wanted to be doing other things, blah, 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 blah. So the crate is a way for your dog to be able to um, extricate themselves from the family dynamics, put themselves into a position where they cannot be accessed by things that would trigger them. Suddenly, you get the mop out, you get the broom out you get the vacuum cleaner out what does your dog do they go to their crate instead of fighting the broom fighting the vacuum cleaner whatever it is they they have a skill where they can go to somewhere to avoid confrontation they can also go there when they've got a headache when they've got a sore leg when they've got a cracked nail when they've got a toothache when they've got a migraine dogs get all these sorts of things and we can't see them But our dog obviously is suffering from something. So they suddenly have the agency to put themselves in a position where they can be safe from whatever. Doesn't matter whether it's real or perceived, but they have this perception that there's a threat to their comfort there. So they can move into the crate. Wonderful. Now they don't have to worry about anything. Putting a dog into a crate is ultimately extremely freeing for them. And crates have been given such a bad name over a very short period of time, and they really are a beautiful, subtle, wonderful way of managing all sorts of problems. And even if you don't have a problem dog, it eliminates an extra layer of fear from your dog and adds an extra layer of comfort. And it doesn't matter how good or bad your dog is, having a crate there that is well conditioned it gives them a safe space to go, and an extra safe space always makes us feel better. Right, so, apart from the, uh, a crate or a bed, I also tend to advise baby gates. Uh, I've seen some homes that have baby gated pretty much everything because there's been stairways all over the shop, and again, if you future-proof your house now because your baby will roll around. When you least expect it the last thing you want is for them to roll down a couple of stairs that lead into your lounge room from the living room for example or you don't want them sliding off the back deck or the balcony or the stairwell whatever it is if we have baby gates set up suddenly we can take a large open plan house for example and we can put in safety measures to keep our toddler safe from the stairs from the kitchen we can keep our dogs safe while they're eating we can section off parts of the garden we can do all these sorts of things so if you kind of think of the baby gates as like pool fencing but you get to choose where you put it yeah so you can put baby gates across the nursery so that your dog doesn't go into the nursery you can put Um, baby gates into the kitchen you wherever it is doesn't matter you can section off rooms entire sections of the house and you can keep your dog safe you can keep your baby safe you can give yourselves some time out so baby gates really really come in handy for just simply managing situations Um, one of the things that does tend to get missed is that our babies are also required to have a safe space, whether that's a play area, whether that's a mat that they're on. Now, our dogs are not allowed to go on there. I was talking before about like the raised bed or crate, um, somewhere where your dog can go or you can send them to, and baby never gets to go on there. That is your dog's retreat. It is sacrosanct. Baby does not get access to it. And we are constantly interrupting a baby's attempt at access to it so that our dog knows that this is ultimately safe. Now, babies do require the same thing. Our babies, they don't tend to intellectually get that this is their safe space. What they do tend to get is that layer of security. Now, our dog, irrespective of how excited they are by whatever it is that is going on, let's just say, for example, oh, I've got to change this nami that has suddenly occurred, the three-day poo, yeah, welcome to that, now you're suddenly you've just got stuff all over your hands someone's at the door the phone's ringing you're stressed out of your eyeballs because you're covered in punami you have to wash your hands before you i don't know take delivery of whatever it is that's at the door or the in-laws are at the door and you can't chew them away again you've got to let them in but there's too much stuff going on you're in a panic situation because you're covered from fingernail to elbow in punami so The last thing that you tend to think of is pick the baby up who is also covered in punami and keep the dog safe. So in a panic, in a fluster, you get up, you answer the door, your in-laws are just eye vomiting at you, looking at this disgusting scene that they're going to do, right? And when your back is turned, there is an opportunity to make mistakes. Yeah. So if your dog understands that baby is on a safe space, it gives you a buffer to recover from your mistake. We never ever put our baby in a position to be a victim of our dogs. To go a little bit more seriously, the age range of zero to four is the most at-risk category of dog bites and the vast majority of dog bites don't occur from strange dogs out in public, they occur from familiar dogs in the, fam- in the familial home. So that includes um, extended family, going to uncles, aunts, nans and pops. So even though I have done a good job at training my dog to stay off the baby safe area for a bunch of time, I'm monitoring 100% of it. I can move away and I can create distance between myself and baby and myself and dog, but I'm in the same room. I'm in the same location, I've got eyes on all the time and I can interact and I can interrupt and I can affect good and bad decisions. And that's what's really important. Even in a case where I make a mistake and I suddenly just, I have a brain fart and I'm doing something that is unsafe, like going to answer the door while I'm covered in Poonami and my dog is sitting there licking their chops because the baby is covered in Poonami and, well, that's just overly interesting. It gives me a buffer in time to recover from my mistakes and later on down the track when our dogs are well behaved and they're well trained then suddenly I can do things with my dog like put them to like send them to their crate send them to their place and then my dog knows okay I'll just stay here until I'm called off and that allows me to go and answer the door and have a much greater buffer in time yeah so baby and dog safe spaces save lives okay and even though our babies aren't intellectually learning right now, there, there are things that are being imprinted in our babies that will echo for life. And the last thing we need is something ridiculously um, freaky to happen and to create a fear of dogs in our, in our babies or for our dog to be traumatised by something. There's a buffer for control. Gives you a buffer to recover from your mistakes. You can be dry, he, dry heaving down the toilet as you're covered in a punami, whatever it is, but you now have some safety mechanisms in place. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I would tend to introduce in the first trimester is uh, relaxation and excitement protocols. So there's this thing called conditioned relaxation. Um, now, i am kind of sought motivation and inspiration from um, a very good uh, trainer called casey cover she has a conditioned relaxation protocol which i think is really good um, and i use a combination of it and positional force relaxation sounds really bizarre but you can actually compel your dog to be relaxed um, it's not quite as straightforward as that but i'm hoping that you get the meaning By using touch and massage and um, some patience, we can get our dogs essentially to relax on command. Chill out! Okay! So by being able to get my dog to relax on command, if they're suddenly getting super pumped because baby's screaming and I'm covered in puke and I'm yelling upstairs, I need some wipes! and all sorts of things are going wrong and what's my dog going to do jump up and bark and carry on like a fruit loop but all of a sudden i can say chill out and my dog says okay and they go and chill out now think of it like this it's like dropping gears so that you can get more control out of your car heading up to a roundabout or a set of lights it's like going down through the gears yeah so if anyone drives a manual you'll get that if you drive an automatic pff, whatever there's also the opposite end of the spectrum. There is the excitement. So that's gameplay. So whether that's roughhousing with your dog and using your hands and elbows and wrestling with them, getting them in headlocks and all sorts of stuff and having your dog jump all over you, whether that's using a tug toy or a flirt pole or a spring pole, whether that's using tennis balls, whatever that is, in that first trimester is being able to teach a dog to get excited and give them a window of opportunity for them to be able to go, right now I can get all of my dog stuff out. This is the opportunity I've been waiting for. This is when I get to hammer on and they can be a dog, they can get all of that stuff out. This is my time to have have fun with the punching bag. And then opposite end of that, we have, well, now I'm gonna have some structured relaxation. And the disparity between relaxation and excitement is what allows our dogs to enjoy a broad spectrum between sleep and being excited, and excited at the utmost level that our dogs can be excited. Otherwise, what tends to happen is my dog is either sleeping or they're high on five coffees. That's what I tend to see a lot of, dogs that wake up and they're pinging off the walls. That is really hard to deal with at any time. When you're pregnant, it becomes hard. When you're doing your one o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock feeds in the morning and you get maybe 30 minutes of sleep in between those, suddenly the dog becomes very, very disposable. Yeah? So that's where I'm kind of heading with this Is that This is really important to be able to teach your dog To self-regulate their emotions So that they can remain calm as possible They're still living beings just like you and me They're, they're going to have brain farts They're going to make mistakes But we can set them up to be as successful as possible uh, uh, Now That kind of sums up the first trimester and it's really important for us to, as soon as we're pregnant and I've got a dog, look, everything's fine until it's not. And the issue is that we want to prevent the severity of when it's not okay. The worst thing that I want to have with a dog at home and a baby is my dog barks and they wake the baby up because I was playing tug with them or because I was doing some fun training with them and my dog went nuts. That would be an ideal situation. What I don't want is for my dog to be clawing at my baby. Hey, wake up. Hey, what's this cot? Can I jump in it? Or do I knock it over? Those sorts of things. So the first trimester allows me to alter lifestyle situations so my dog starts to get on board with the changes that are about to happen. Yeah. It's also another angle for me as a parent to be able to learn to future-proof my home. Now, moving on to the second trimester, this is where it starts to get a little bit more personal because I need to make some bigger changes. Now, that's a that's a clever change on words here. I say bigger changes because it by about this time things are starting to show on mum to be now again future proofing what is going to tend to suck for mum to be is that lower back pain not being able to sleep on your back not being able to sleep on your tummy not being able to roll over in the later stages of the third trimester without waking my postcode up because of all the grunting and groaning of trying to get that big belly from one side of the bed to the next dude it sucks but it is what it is. The last thing that I need is a bunch of claws all over my belly, all over my back. Again, future-proofing, where is one of the places that baby is going to sleep? In your bed. It's gonna happen. So, future-proof. Now, I would advise that your dog does not get to sleep in the same place as your baby so in that first transitional phase your newborn infant is going to be m- most likely sleeping with you in your bedroom because you need to get used to this new stuff going on and that's totally fine right And but I would have the dog away from the bedroom now it is super hard what tends to happen is mum goes into hospital dad comes back Gosh, it's lonely in this bed. Hey, pup, why don't you come in here? And suddenly the dog is asleep in the bed, under the covers, on mum's pillow. Whatever, as if it's not going to happen. So let's just accept it and move on. Now, if we can agree to agree, that would be amazing. Because as as long as the rules are black and white, stuff gets a lot easier for our dogs. So if mum needs to have a break and go sleep somewhere else, or mum is feeding baby suddenly dad isn't thinking to himself oh come on mate come up in the bed it's all right because at some point mum needs to come back and dog's going to make a mistake and then the three of you are in the bed and the dog jumps up where he will, or she would usually go lands right on top of baby not cool or your dog simply stretches out in bed like they have done for the last I don't know five years scratches baby baby's now screaming We've just put the baby to bed for the two o'clock feed. Dude, that sucks. Now you're frustrated, and, and who's gonna bear the brunt of that? Certainly not baby, certainly not mum. Dog's gonna bear the brunt of it. So let's just relieve ourselves of that that horrid added stress. Not just for us, not just the risk injury, or the injury of risk, the risk of injury, but also. Let's just remove that stress from the dog to start with. Go to and send them onto there. Again, this is where the crate comes in handy. One of the things that I tend to advise as well, I'm fairly draconian on this, is your dog does not get access to the nursery. Ever, period. What we don't need is for little accidents to occur. Because when you start putting the nursery in, new smells, talcum powder, dirty nappies, clean nappies, all these sorts of things are all very interesting and some dogs will simply mark territory that is within their territory but novel so they'll wee on stuff they'll pick stuff up when they don't have hands so they'll pick stuff up with their mouth they'll break stuff they'll rip through those alcohol wipes they'll have talcum powder all over your nursery they'll jump up into the cot they'll do all sorts of horrible stuff in a moment in time where you just don't need it not right? so What I would also tend to advise is the nursery will kind of turn into a bit of a feeding area for mum and baby. So as nice as it is to get some touch time with someone who's awake during feeding time like your dog, do it in the lounge room, don't do it in the nursery. Because if you have a place where your baby can have some open skin time right so that they can lie down on the ground and there is just no way the dog's gonna ever get in there because the door's shut because the baby gate's closed whatever it is you can enjoy some dog free time just for you and baby and that is so important for your baby's development All right i'm not saying that your dog should be kept away from baby forever but in that first period where your baby is at their most helpless, they need the most support. And you need to have skin time with your baby without dog, without mum as a dad or without dad as a mum. You need that one-on-one time to to develop a bi-directional bond between the, t- the two of you. Right? So let's not take that stuff for granted. Let's, let's take it for what it is, enjoy that special time, with baby in the nursery no other distractions are there now kind of moving on like a lot of dogs obviously the ones that i see um, the pet dogs that i tend to see uh, as a professional dog trainer are all lacking in some department um, that usually turns out to be what i refer to as sociability So our dogs tend to be impulsive, they tend to be rambunctious, they tend to be um, far more savage than we like and less civil than we might prefer. So the second trimester, so we are talking about three months' time, gives you ample time where both mum and dad are physically capable of doing training together with their dog. as in that third trimester, uh, mum becomes, simply put, less physically able as she's carrying a much larger baby. Yeah? So if we can concentrate in the second trimester on teaching our dog the skills required for sociability. So w- what does that mean? What is sociability? Um, if we break that down into succinct skill sets, that's heal. Walk with me and ignore the, the rest of stuff it is come when sorry leave that and come over here it is um, stay there until i say otherwise it's let's hang out here and have a good time Uh, so there are a foundational four aspect skills that we teach our dogs and we teach our dogs those in a variety of different locations so that starts in the home it moves out to the yard it moves out to my neighborhood then we start taking it on excursions and we go into novel places be that a fire trail a bush track um, whether we go mountain biking, paddle boarding, whether we go out to the beach, out to cafes, it doesn't matter what your lifestyle is, but we move those social skills out into the real world. And we need to have both static and dynamic skills, the difference being static. And here's the big one, stand. People don't tend to teach stand anymore. Yeah? We also have our dynamic skills, which are movement-based ones. Walk with me from point A to point B and ignore everything else. Super useful, especially when I'm pushing my baby around in their pram across a pedestrian crossing waiting for the lights. You know, I need to have some social skills to be able to navigate life with my dog and give the most healthy, adaptive, and enriching lifestyle for my dog, my baby, myself. Now... Sociability, those skills. I mean, those foundation for. I teach it in a sixty-day program. That's that's around about um, nine weeks. So that's not the full trimester, but it certainly gives you a buffer. Social skills are extremely important. So let's say, for example, you're walking your dog. Right now, there's another dog walking in a direction heading towards you. What does your dog do? Are they already pulling on the lead? Do they go nuts and start spinning and barking because there's a playmate right over there? Look, it, it starts in most of what like, the really um, generic puppy schools. right? Your puppy goes to this special place and they get to blow you off and they get to play with whatever it is they wanna play. They get to experiment, they get to explore, they get to do all this sort of stuff and you have very little input. It's bad teaching from the start because we are conditioning, we are imprinting the skill of blow mum and dad off to get whatever it is I want and then I get frustrated when I don't get what I want and now I have a reactive dog. So instead, if we have social skills that are built first of all upon the power tools that we created in the first trimester of teaching what to do, what teaching not to do, how to be attentive to mum and dad, from there we can capitalise on that and we can start to teach actual skills that are useful for life, our sociability skills. And liberty is a huge one. Dog trainers don't tend across the broader spectrum, they don't tend to teach liberty. Why? Because we're not teaching our dogs a skill. There's no empirical value to it. I can't teach a rate of res- or can't record a rate of response. I can't do all of these other technical things. I can't have my dog under control. Liberty, simply put, on lead, let's say, for ease of argument, on lead liberty is simply don't extend the range of the lead. You can be on the sidelines, but just stay in the field of play. That's the only rule there is. Don't go nuts. So my dog is able to learn to relax, to learn to get excited, to learn to deal with things. They're not under actual obedience commands. They're free to make their own decisions. Right. That is something that is lacking across the broader spectrum of dog training. And that is where it's most important. Because let's, let's be honest now, obedience skills and sociability skills, as critical as they are, how long does your dog spend under constraint? Out of 24 hours, man, maybe 20 minutes. Seriously. When you're walking your dog, you teach them a way to walk with you. But when you say heel, <clears throat> excuse me. When you say heel, there's a reason for it. I've got to get past this other dog, and it takes what ten seconds. I've got to get past. Uh, I've got to cross this road. I have to wait on a medium strip, like on a refuge island, for the traffic to slow down. Again, what does that take? The whole situation takes maybe five minutes. So whilst we train for a certain standard in actual real life, we don't use it very much. Right? So where does your dog spend most of their time? in liberty, and they need to learn to deal with liberty. And not only do they spend their time in liberty, it's off lead, it's in the house, it's in the backyard. So we've got to be able to teach our dogs to make decisions for themselves rather than be controlled 24-7, because we've got a baby coming, man, like, control? That's out the window. I'm flying by the seat of my pants now I've got a baby in the house. So. One of the other things that we start to do, like the second trimester, by this stage well, whilst we're doing sociability, that also allows us to really get down to some nitty gritty of the behavioral problems that we've just been putting on the back burner for a little while. Um, so those tend to be reactivity, those tend to be uh, separation stress, those tend to be all these other sorts of things where our dogs are, are having issues that we know are there but we're just not ready to accept them right now. So. We were talking about condition relaxation or relaxation protocols in trimester one. In the second trimester, we're really going to town on those excitement. That's pretty easy by this stage. Like we can get um, we can get play out of our dogs. We can enrich our dogs. That's that's kind of cool. But what we're going to need to do is teach a dog to even though I am thinking, look, this baby is going to fly back into their cot at any moment now. Um, I've had enough, I am going to smash something in this house, I'm putting something through a brick wall. I'm becoming unpredictable while I'm being woken up. When I say I, um, I'm, t- I'm putting the mum's hat on here because let's be honest, guys, it's mum who's going to do 90, 98% of the work. We're just there when we happen to wake up of a night time. But what we need to do for our dogs is to have them be able to maintain a sense of relaxation when the baby toys are going nuts when i walk on um, that nappy that i forgot to pick up damn it and it's full of stuff and now i'm cursing because i've got stuff all over my foot or um now all these other things that that just tend to happen when i've got a baby in the house and they tend to be chaotic they tend to be gross Um, they tend to be smelly, they tend to be noisy, but if I can teach my dog to endure that, so if you go back to episode one, these are are cortisol-releasing events. If I can raise the level at which my dog reacts to that cortisol level, then I'm keeping my dog calmer for longer. Again, crate training, place training, beautiful vehicles to be able to teach my dog to endure the nasty to get to the nice yeah um, so baby sounds that's a huge one babies can scream for such a long time yeah they really can and it is it is grating from more than one particular angle one baby screaming baby screams man that's that's nuts if it's not my baby and they're screaming I have the freedom to get up and walk away if it's my baby that's screaming I don't have the freedom to get up and walk away I've got to deal with it As a dad, I want to solve it. Yeah, good luck. I can't solve it because I don't know what's wrong. Now, the baby has been introduced into the family unit. As far as the dog is concerned, they don't care. The baby's here. So they become part of the family unit. Doesn't mean our dogs are necessarily going to like that constant and incessant screaming every two hours for a feed. Yeah. So... I can take that baby scream and I can start to reprogram it to increase the amount of relaxation that our dogs can maintain. Now, this is where uh, Box Training, um, so uh, Pat Stewart from, um, oh, don't butcher it, stew from Opera and Canine, um, he released on the podcast that he does with Glenn called The Canine Paradigm, uh, episode four, they released an episode um, called The Box. And it is all about this wonderful way of being able to um, get your dog to essentially indicate on some sort of an article. But along the way, you are able to teach your dog to be emotionally resilient. And that's what I tend to use it for in my sociability programs or in the more pertinent cases such as this. We use box feeding to be able to teach our dog to use baby's screams as a way of getting something nice. Again, enduring the nasty to get to the nice. That kind of sums up the second trimester, which is really about assessing behavioral needs as well as increasing the sociability of our dogs um, and making some some more uh, semi-permanent changes to our home layout. semester three is when things start to get really prickly now things tend to to become more dad centric and less mum oriented Um, it pains me to say it but girls tend to become less physically capable despite what they want they're physically less able to um, manage a medium Size dog and up. If that dog is pulling, it, it becomes just an absolute pain. And the later we get in pregnancy, the risk is simply too great. Um, talking about it physio physiologically, mum's um, abs tend to separate as the pregnancy goes on because we've got to make room for the womb. So that means then, as those muscles are being forced apart, right? They separate. And that's where the, what's it called, the, the uh, uh, Lena negra, some, um, some women as they go through pregnancy, they'll get that dark line through their belly. That's the abs separating. That's the six-pack splitting up into two, three-packs. Uh, so as, as the female body is adapting to the pregnancy and its temporary nature, the body, the center of gravity changes. Um, strength changes, the bending moments change, all sorts of things are changing but it's only for a, a temporary amount of time right? and as we get further and further into it, I mean we got contractions, we got uh, Braxton Hicks, we got all sorts of other things that are happening in the female body right? but it is me- it, what it really means is as we get further on it becomes risky and riskier for mum to be training, walking, running with our dogs, right? So dad must take over and put the dad hat on because especially when mum comes back from giving birth, man, there's a long recovery period until the body is is fully healed, right? I I, I know this sounds kind of scary, but hey, I'm allowed to say that because I'm a dad, I'm not a mum, and I'm allowed to prep dads up for the things that are about to happen. And it's fairly common for us blokes to Do you know what? She'll sort it out, she'll be right, and um, she's my mum and and everything's going to be fine. And Well, that's just bogus. Uh, We have to put on a dad hat and we have to take on a servant leadership model. I have to serve my wife in the best way possible, and that means that right now, at the very latest, I've got to start doing stuff with the dog. All right? It also is a beautiful time to be able to establish a far better relationship, a far more meaningful relationship with our dogs. And not all cases are like that. A lot of times, like lot of the relationships is, is in a pretty good state. But we are also strategically fading mum out of the situation so that our dog is then able to deal with the isolation from mum it's gonna happen even if you have a home birth sorry dog shouldn't be at the birth Right? that is a time for mum and dad to be together for dad to be supporting mum and to be concentrating on that so we start to phase mum out of whatever it is that is going on there right you can still hang out you can still have the fun but dad is becoming primary caretaker of that dog or your dog's however the case may be it's also a good idea to start looking at pet care situations during that third trimester because it may be that you guys decide hey this has been like a really cool thing we just want a couple of weeks on our own or i want a couple of nights on my my own with my wife and my son slash daughter whatever you just want that bonding time together and that's totally cool heaven forbid, you may need to have some extra time under observation in hospital. Now, that means mum's away, baby's away, uh, and dad's going to be in hospital for some time. You know, th- these sorts of things happen. So it behooves us to have some sort of pet care fallbacks. Uh, so that means that you could have a dog walker, you could have a pet sitter, you could have uh, a, a close friend, a close and trusted friend or family member that is dog savvy that can take care of your dog for a period of time. Whether that means that you put your dog in a kennel or a pet resort, whether that means daycare for your dog, those sorts of things, just to be able to keep your dog's life ticking over into in what will then be normality, but what is now starting to change from the normal lifestyle, yeah? It is also a time where even though I've just said that we, we have some emergency um, fallbacks, some plan B's in place, like, oh man, like I've, I've got to go back into hospital, um, baby's got uh, jaundice, Uh, mums are recovering from birth so she's under obs and they're gonna be there for the next couple of nights, hey can you feed and water my dog for me, can you walk my dog for me or hey mum, hey dad can you take care of my dog for me? because we've got this stuff going on. People aren't gonna refuse it but now is the time to introduce it so rather than just go cold turkey and make it happen we set our dog up to be successful. We set our, our our trusted ones, our support network up. We we do it a couple of times, you know, so that it's not suddenly just, oh, I'm here now. What does this mean? And we also, even in the home, we start to add in a degree of separation to our dogs, meaning that even though our dogs are around. Um, for example, they just don't come up on the lounge tonight. We're not going to let them come up on the lounge tonight. Our dog is going to have to deal with a bunch of different adversity sources so we can start to manufacture those. And if you've got a dog that really likes to cuddle up on the lounge, do you know what? Sometimes when baby comes along, it's, it's not going to be possible to do so. So set your dog up to be successful then, now. Also some isolation. It is okay for your dog to be in the backyard while you're in the front yard. It is okay for your dog not to be in the toilet with you while you're going to the toilet. It is okay for you to have some isolation from your dog. Your dog must be able to deal with isolation. It doesn't matter whether you would normally work from home. It doesn't matter if you are a stay-at-home parent. It doesn't matter from your perspective. What matters is, from your dog's perspective, that they can endure isolation. They are not genetically geared up to be isolated from, from their familial pack. We have to teach that. That's an artificial skill that they are not born with. It's not innate. So they need to learn that skill. And we can start doing that in the second trimester. And by the time baby comes along, it's old hat. The skill's there. And there's no real drama about it. So there's your three trimesters sitting there. And, well, hey, that was a quick nine months, and now you've got a baby. What happens now? Well, we just bring baby home, and everything's fine. I put a cop wash on that I would say that that's not the case. The way I tend to structure things is that we now have a 3 week transitional period of introducing your dog to your baby. The first person that is going to introduce anything remotely baby like is going to it, it is tending to be dad. So Night one, when dad drags himself home from supporting his wife and getting everything sorted out for the birth, yeah, you come home, you're dog-tired, pardon the pun, please bring home some sort of a swaddle from hospital that is connected to your baby, some sort of uh, a heavily contaminated scent article from your baby, yeah. It can be a nappy that your baby had on, it it, it can be a hat. Um, I like the use of the swaddle, yeah, that's kind of that big blankie that... Um, you wrap your baby up in bring that home and then introduce that to your dog now what is your dog allowed to do with it smell it that is all they don't need to touch it they're only allowed to smell it what are they not allowed to do with it now dogs have what is called a vomeronasal organ um, let me just cut through the mustard they can taste scent so they'll lick something as if they're tasting it, much like we would, but what they're doing is that the, the odor molecules are then being taken up through this particular uh, vomeronasal organ, and it goes into the nervous pathway that goes to the sensory bulb in your dog's brain. So your dog is able to, for want of a better expression, taste odor. I don't want that pathway being activated for your baby. The only pathway I want activated for odor from your baby is through the nose. Yeah? Consciously, makes no difference. But there is an active decision to touch and taste and ingest and the risk there is that we are allowing our dogs to believe that they can possess and they're not allowed to possess anything of the babies because woe betide the dog that thinks I'm allowed to have the baby's hat while the hat is being worn. Wobitai the dog that believes that they're allowed to have the dummy while the dummy is in the baby's mouth etc etc. It is not cool for our dog to put the pointy end of their body anywhere near baby. The risk of injury is simply too great and since we're in Australia and we are the lords and masters of occupational health and safety let's actually put it to good use and think of it with our baby. So no tasting, no possession. They're allowed to look and smell only. Right? And each day that you come home, you can continue this process because you will have held a baby and your dog is going to go nuts. Oh, the baby is finally born. Make no mistake, your baby knew before you that you were pregnant. Your dog could smell the brand new baby that was being formed in your womb. So now, baby's born. Your dog should be quite stoked and quite excited about that. But they're going to come home, dad, and they're going to smell your arms. They're going to smell your clothes. They're going to smell your belly and your chest, everywhere that you've wiped. So you, your thighs, your butt, all those areas where you've wiped your hands, where like you know, unconsciously after you've been holding baby, your dogs are going to go nuts, smelling first, like the baby's here. When do I get to meet the baby? Well, not yet. But. So usually in week one, all being well, mum and baby also work their way back into the home. But we have isolation between baby and dog. That means that baby and dog don't get to physically meet. They are never in the same room, right? Think back to what we were talking about before between uh, the nursery and all those sorts of places. Uh, We don't have a situation whereby accidents can happen because look I've been there I know what it's like you're holding baby and suddenly you're asleep next thing you know your dog's there licking baby look what whatever we don't want the risk of things to happen later on down the track so we very safely very strategically manage the relationship and we manage risks as best as we possibly can. we make everything go from success to success. Now, so week two, dog and baby can be in the same room. So now we're introducing a different sense to our dogs. The first sense that we introduced to our dogs was their nose. The most powerful organ that they have to sense and and deal with the outside world is their nose. Now, we are starting to introduce sight. Now our dog can see baby in the same room. We can get close. Your dog is allowed to, I don't care, jump up into your lap and see the baby. What are they not allowed to do? They are not allowed to touch baby. They're not allowed to nuzzle. They're not allowed to muzzle. They're not allowed to lick. They're not allowed to paw. So do your best to manage that and to teach that. Just for the first instance. It's only going to last a week. So... Week three is when we do the actual introduction. That's when we're bringing the sight, the sound, and uh, as well as the scent. You can bring all three of those together and your dog is allowed to come up and be close with your baby whilst you have baby in your arms. It must be controlled. It must be calm. If your dog is starting to get too excited, that body's getting too wriggly, the tail is wagging too hard, they're panting too heavily, whatever it is, remember back to the first trimester where we learnt to read our dogs. We do not wait for the end result of my dog jumping up on me with those unclipped nails and scratching baby's face and now we've got a hospital admission for an open gash. Accidents happen, and that's what what this is truly about, is preventing accidents from creating something drastic and making sure that the introduction is as seamless as possible. It really isn't a lot of work, yeah? So a chief reason for dogs being surrendered, for dogs being rehomed, sent to the pound, being euthanized is the lack of social skills not being able to walk not coming when called not being able to stay i.e not being able to yield control to mum and dad not being able to be attentive and when baby comes along suddenly the risk is simply too great and i see it all the time the frustration that is caused by an unruly dog who doesn't mean any ill will necessarily Right? There's no malice behind it. They're just squirrely and wriggly and they jump and they do stuff, but we have a baby now and priorities will change. So we need to teach those changes first. Uh, so babies, kids and dogs, like it's a match made in heaven. It truly is. It's wonderful to watch um, little kids grow up with family dogs it's beautiful to see them sharing an ice cream it's beautiful to see the kids playing with your dogs it's beautiful to see all of these things and it's enriching for your dog too your dog loves it as well if we have set them up to be successful in the first instance yeah so i hope you've enjoyed this there's a bunch of baby hacks and dog hacks whatever like you've got man do please let me know it's an it's open source there are so many people out there with so many different situations we don't have all the answers but a village has many many answers so let's share them amongst ourselves and let's see where the chips fall i'd love to hear back from you i'd love to hear your questions um whatever it is just drop me a line and let me know Don't forget to teach them the want it, and when you need it, there's no doubt about it. So please do like, rate, subscribe, and share this on an app of your choice, and don't forget to especially use your voice now. If you want a question answered, if you want to give some feedback, I would love to hear from it. You can contact me at barefootpaws at mail.com. That's barefootpaws.com all one word, at mailmail.com. You can find me on the web, you can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Instagram. I would love to hear from you.